Welcome to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Beige. And with us for the first time in Season 3 on our brand new platform, this is Mr. Ricky Nurse. Ricky, how is it going, my brother? I am good, gentlemen. Good to be here. Thank you for the so invite. You, sir. Of course. Of course. Now, it is always great to have you on our show. We love having you with us. And the... The interesting thing that the viewers, those who are watching, will see is that only one of us are in colors. Yes, only one of us have anything to celebrate with regards to our teams at this point in time. But of course, I am sure that we will get into some of that as the episode goes on. So, gentlemen, let us get right to it. Now, we are through seven weeks of football. And just when you thought that maybe some things were settling and starting to make sense, we get another crazy week of upsets. And as the trade deadline draws even closer or ever closer, rumors and moves are starting to materialize. As we do every week, we go off the rip with four down territory, where we look back at some of the weekend's happenings through four different lenses. Now, of course, we always go first down, and this is where we determine who was the biggest winner of the weekend. So, Ricky, as you are the one who is not customarily here, we'll give you the first go at it. Who is your biggest winner of week seven? Well, my, my biggest winner of week seven, gentlemen, were New York football. I almost said New York City, but considering that the stadium where the teams um, play MetLife is actually in New Jersey. I'm going to just say New York football. Um, to be in a position, surprisingly to, to probably every football fan, to see that we could have the 6-1 and one New York Giants and the 5-2 and two New York Jets. I would have to say New York football because I don't think anyone imagined we would be in this place and I don't think either team was really, well, neither team was favored in their matchups on the road at Jacksonville in terms of the Giants and at Denver in terms of the Jets. So New York football for the moment is back. All right. So Ricky, <laughs> Ricky's talking about New York football. I wish we could have added right New York baseball bat. into that. Uh, <laughs> oh, let's, but, let's not do that, Ken. Let's not do that. We're doing yeah, well. I mean, I, I, just, I just had to put out there because my Yankees, <laughs> my Yankees got the brooms broken out. Yeah. For them in the Bronx. But anyhow, AJ, your turn. Biggest winner for this week. <clears throat> um, so I'm actually going to say the Bengals. And this isn't just because of how they manhandled Atlanta, right? I'm thinking bigger picture here. And since he's trying to recover from what was almost a, a, a catastrophic start of the season, it was bad, but it wasn't catastrophic in that sense. They've gone four and one since starting after starting 0 and 2, right? Losing those first two games. Currently, they're actually tied for the lead in that division with the Ravens. And even if you look at it in the well, they're behind the Ravens, so the Ravens are leading. But even if you look at it in the semblance of the wild card race, most of the teams around them are just clueless and they're just kind of like going with the flow and just like have no idea what they're here to do. So, based on how they started the season and and even as a, a backup plan, even in terms of the wild card race, the fact that 
since he seems to have the firmest grasp on all of this, I think that coming out of week seven, they're the biggest winners. Okay. So the two of you actually kind of surprised me because I had, I picked two options in the event that somebody took one of mine, I would have the other and you both picked neither. So I'm going to give both of mine and then you will have an opportunity to respond. So I'm starting with the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs came into this rematch of Super Bowl 54, having lost a close game at home versus Buffalo, and they're now going up against this multidimensional, multifaceted rushing attack of the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners were unveiling their shiny new toy that we'll talk about a little later, and this was going to be a tough matchup or at least it was supposed to be. Kansas City outgained the Niners on the ground 112 to 101 yards and outscored them on the ground three touchdowns to one. This would have meant that Jimmy Garoppolo would have had to outdo Patrick Mahomes if the running game was being negated, if the San Francisco 49ers were to stand any chance. They stood no chance. Mahomes went 25 of 34 for 423 yards with three touchdowns and a pick. The 49ers pass rush, their vaunted pass rush, got a single sack. Jimmy, to his credit, 303 yards and two touchdowns, but it's still clear that Jimmy is not that guy. Hard luck, San Fran. Nothing we have seen here shows there'll be any different if you meet them in the postseason. But... The second team that I had listed here, because I thought that the Chiefs were going to be an obvious option, the second one I had is the Seattle Seahawks. The Hawks were supposed to be no good, but behind all pro-level Geno Smith and breakout star Kenneth Walker, the Hawks got something cooking in Seattle. The Seahawks got on top of the Chargers early and never let them up off the mat. 17-0 after the first quarter, 24-14 at the half, a final score of 37-23 and a defensive performance that they can hang their hat on with Justin Herbert dropping back to pass 51 times while only getting 293 yards. To give some context, the Chargers did come into the game with a hobbled Keenan Allen who surely disappointed his fantasy managers with two receptions for 11 yards. Reminds me very much of him last year saying, don't bench me, don't bench me. And then came and put up a stat line that is eerily similar to what he put up this weekend. And then Mike Williams, who had to be helped off the field as well, after he had seven catches for 86 yards. But Staley and the Chargers, they were forced to abandon the run because they only had 15 carries for 53 yards. Well, Seattle was the epitome of balance. Gino with 210 yards passing and the team having 214 yards rushing. The Hawks are 4-3 and three and will be a problem down the stretch. Any, Ricky, you want to go ahead? Any retort? Um, I, I will agree with him on, on both of them from the different perspectives. Um, one NFC team, one AFC team for balance. And the reality of it is, I think that you had two extremely experienced coaches that showed that they are still in their bike. 
Um, as much as we want to say all of these negative things about Pete Carroll, um, the exit with Russell Wilson, not letting Russ cook, etc. Gino walks into the kitchen, sees what is available, and all of a sudden, Gino got all the seasons from Grenada, all the spices available, <laughs> and Gino cooking very, very easy. Um, so I have to agree. Uh, no question that Kenneth Walker has added a dimension that I don't know that they've had. And, and to their credit, they're playing like a confident team. On Kansas City side, I do give credit to um, the entire Kansas City team because Mahomes beat you with every receiver he had available <laughs> and all of those running backs we're able to be productive. So, yeah, it's it's really, really uh, a tip to the hat to both coaches for making sure that their teams were well prepared. And on the other end, the coaches of the losing teams left a lot to be desired. I mean, I'm inclined to agree. They're, they are both fine options. I actually had an alternate response as well, right? And I'll give my... Now, the, the, the only thing is where I would give a little pushback is that I don't think they were the biggest. That's the, I think they were both big winners, but in the context of, like, like I said, I'm thinking in the, in the grander scheme of things, right? I wasn't surprised that Kansas City beat um, San Francisco. I wasn't. Yeah, I, I wasn't surprised. I think that the manner in which they did it, it was a comprehensive win all around, and it was really impressive, but I wasn't shocked at it, which is why I couldn't give it the biggest surprise. The Seahawks one, <laughs> obviously that was a little bit of a shock. But at the same time, and I've, I've, I'm pretty sure I've been on record saying this, the Chargers are that kind of team that will dazzle you one week and then lose a game they should not lose. And I, I attribute a lot of this to Brandon Staley. I have no faith in Brandon Staley, none. <laughs> but anyhow, the, the Seahawks, and, and I guess the reason why I didn't give the Seahawks biggest winner as well, why I didn't even think about them is because I don't think in the big picture they will matter come playoff time and whatnot. That's just me. My alternate actually was along the same line as, I, as my initial response, right? The alternate response I had was the Raiders. Hmm. Is the Raiders. Because the Raiders are actually, after they win, they're only now two and four, you know. But you know that in, in terms of the, the wild card spot, they're only a game off. Of, of being in a wildcard position, just a single game, given how they started that season. So they were my alternate pick. I, I, I obviously, I'm not saying I disagree with you, Ken, in terms of those being big winners, but for me, they were not the biggest. Okay, no problem. So if those weren't the biggest winners for you, then tell me, who is your biggest loser this weekend? Uh, golly, Indy. Indy, and, and, and this comes down to something I said, right? Because I, I, I did say at the beginning of the season, I, I can take the L on this one. I was wrong. I, I had these men to win the division because I honestly <laughs> thought that this Matty Ice trade w was, was going to be underappreciated, basically. And they started slow and, and uh, like, like extremely slow worse than than you could have ever imagined but then they started picking up a little bit like a little bit of momentum right and then in one fell swoop boom injury to my ice bench for the rest of the season two and it's not it's not even like a day-to-day -day thing it's like yeah he done for the season I, you just spoke about seattle and gino and ricky mentioned gino smith cooking right sam ellinger ain't gonna be in our same kitchen he's not 
I don't care how much of a revelation Geno Smith was this season. I'm not going to double down on, on, on that kind of narrative by betting on Ellinger. And, and to Ellinger's credit, or in his defense, rather, there's no way that he could be worse than what the Colts started doing at the beginning of the season or what Matty Ice was doing, right? There's no way. But I just don't think that he has it in him to win the division. It's like, at this point, it's game, set, match, Tennessee. Okay, what about you, Ricky? Who's your biggest loser of the weekend? Um, the same way I had a happy hour on New York football for my biggest winners, I'm having a happy hour on two teams that are sitting on the dock of the bay. Tampa Bay and Green Bay. Those <laughs> two teams, right, are showing me that complacency is a disease in sport, in life, in, you know, in, in the corporate world. When you get complacent and you start to feel yourself and you figure the cat cannot meow without you, um, you get to see the kind of arrogance um, that, you know, sometimes it borders swag of an Aaron Rodgers who came out on a radio show today and basically said that if these wide receivers and if these players on the offense are not producing, they need to not be on the field. So that, that got the, the place in a buzz with that radio show today. And Tom Brady, right? Apologies in advance to AJ and, and, and the, and the, and the, uh, the semis. Tampa Bay supporters because of Brady. But I'm not sure that Tom Brady came into this season fully focused. I don't think he came in with the, the level of intensity and focus for a myriad of reasons, right? But when your head coach can come out and say that if the experienced and the senior players do not start producing, they will be benched. That's a man under pressure. So for me, both teams sitting on the dock of the bay, and if they don't get it together soon, neither of those two teams or both, either or both, will not make the postseason because those teams are not playing with any sense of urgency. They're not playing. You are not seeing the experience coming to bear on the field and the mistakes that they're making. It is one thing to get outplayed, but they, they have penalties. I mean, Tampa Bay had a... a, 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 a special teams penalty that, you know, they could have gotten back into the game. Green Bay, I, I don't know what's going on with them because I, I actually think that they are just going through the motions since Devontae Adams left. But it is, it is those are the two for me. Those are the biggest losers because I, I, I expect a higher standard from those quarterbacks and by extension, the experienced members of both of those teams. Okay, so what you two have just done is that you set me up really nicely for my biggest loser of the weekend. <laughs> and I could not have scripted it any better, honestly. The biggest loser of the weekend, as far as Ken is concerned, was the old guard of NFL mm. quarterbacks. And the three names I had here, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers well all lost this weekend mm -hmm. to the third string quarterback of the Carolina Panthers who just fired their coach. Ryan Tannehill who had 132 yards passing in the game and now Taylor Heineke who had 
two quarterbacks brought in ahead of him, but comes in off the bench and just wins games. Each of these old men are victims of some trades. Brady is rumored to have traded his family for this season of football, and no Mike Evans is dropping wide open passes that would be touchdowns. Matty Ice got traded from Atlanta to Indianapolis, who was supposed to be a quarterback away, but is now on their 13th quarterback since Peyton Manning. Matt came out of the game dinged up, and now they're putting Matty Ice in race. Aaron Rodgers, after his summer of debating will he, won't he come back, saw his favorite target, Devontae Adams, traded to Vegas. And no is upset about all of the kids running all over his lawn. This is no country for old men. And no, we are seeing Happy Valley calling for at least two of the three. First down on the no country for old men reference. First down. <laughs> yeah, that was well played. Yeah. That was well played. What what I will say, and obviously you know I have to jump in and say something in Tom's defense. Not 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 I, I, a bit sheepishly, though. What I will say to your point, Ricky, I don't, I don't believe that he his intention was to come into the season like this. I think the trade off of him making the decision to come into the season was him going through the family issues, which in turn affected him. But I, I don't, I, like, I honestly don't think Tom would have been this this way if if his family if his house was in order. Yeah, you know, but. Agreed. Agreed. The, the reality is he still has to be better. But Mike Evans needs to catch a damn ball too. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that you will have your um your apology with Tom, Mr. Tom Brady apology. No, just just I, just just that one thing. Cause I don't I, I was like I, I just wanted to say that I, I I really don't feel like like Tom Brady is who he is. Like mentally he's he's cerebral. He's not going to make a decision to come back into season if he's not fully with it. But Clearly, he put that decision ahead of his family. Because look what, and then in turn, it's affecting him. Agree. That's life, but I deliver the decisions you make. You know, it is true. So now we move on to third down, and on third down, we move to the least impressive win. So, Ricky, who gets your least impressive win this week? My least impressive win, believe it or not, is gonna go to those Carolina Panthers. You are a quarterback away. You know what you need to do. You have traded away two assets and you got a, 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 a trailer full of picks coming. But we all know what you need. You need a QB. And to get increase your chances that QB, you need to move up in the draft order. You need not win games right now, Panthers. <laughs> you do not need to win games right now. Newsflash, you need to find a way to move up in this draft and get at some of this QB talent. Every game you win from here on is a problem. You will set yourself up for another mediocre quarterback. Okay, what about you, AJ? Who's your least uh, impressive this week? Well said, Rick. Well said, Rick. Um, least impressive? Miami. The mm -hmm. Miami Dolphins. Um, and it kind of goes back again to something you and I discussed prior, Ken. Now, 
let me just go back to week seven. So I know that the Steelers' defense is full of dogs. We know that. We know that, right? Like, that's a fact. But a scoreless second half is a worry for a team with playoff aspiration. And, and I, I remember I mentioned this to you, Ken, about, about the Eagles, how the Eagles mm-hmm. are, like, averaging, like, five points in the second half of games. You know that Miami is not much better off? They, they, they were scoreless in the second half of that game. And granted, their defense held um, Pittsburgh scoreless in that game, too. But Miami has a lot much more at stake here right now. And, and, and let me just go through this for you, right? In week six against the Vikings, they were scoreless in the third quarter. Um, in week five against the Jets, scoreless in the third quarter. Um, against the Bengals in week four, scoreless in the third quarter. So I'm, I'm kind of, and, and, and so this is after three consecutive games with coming out of the half, unable to score a single point. And then this week it culminated, or last week rather, last game week, it culminated in an entire scoreless second half. That is a big concern to me. For a team that, that is supposed to be trying to vie for a division title and obviously going all the way in the AFC. Like, they didn't bring in Tyreek Hill to just, to just be uh, uh, in, in the pack. You know what I mean? So... Mm-hmm. It, it's a concerning trend. I, 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 similar to what I, the, the, the issues or, or the concerns that I mentioned prior about the Eagles, I have the same concerns about Miami. You need to be able to, to, to finish games and kill off things. You cannot, you cannot have your defense doing your job for the, or doing their job for the entire second half. You need to put points on the board. Agreed. So I actually differ from both of you on this one. My least impressive win of the weekend went to the Baltimore Ravens. Mm. Their inability to hold on to leads is shocking, appalling, and very unraven-like. They were literally left clinging on by their fingernails to the lead, and but for an interesting decision by the Cleveland Special Teams group to come in by a yard on the game-time field goal try, they honestly could have lost this game in overtime. The Ravens lead the north right now at four and three and the win is really all that matters but as you had made mention of earlier aj the bengals have seemed to figure out their o-line issues and are blocking much better joe burrow is in a groove and he is getting big production from both tyler boyd and jamar chase on days like this where lamar isn't able to be superman the ravens are extremely vulnerable and I can't be convinced that their defense will be able to pull their fat out of the fire when necessary. This is too many weeks in a row. Uh, to the point that you have been making, AJ, about these teams not being able to put points on the board and secure leads in the second half, the Ravens collapse in fourth quarters every single week. They're, they're not blowing teams out of the water every week. There's is always a close win because they get up high in the game and then somehow the offense sputters in the fourth quarter and the defense suddenly can't make a stop. This, this is something that they definitely need to fix if they have any sort of aspirations of doing anything in the postseason. All right. It I seems know. to be. Wait, I, I just wanted to add this because I didn't, I didn't want to, to say everything at that point. But I, let me just add this one thing, right? So that stretch I was mentioning for Miami with being scoreless in the third quarter is actually five consecutive games now. Because they were scoreless in the third quarter against Buffalo in week three. They, Miami actually has 10 points in the third quarter of games so far this season. They scored a field goal against us in week one. 
and then a touchdown against the Ravens in week two. Since then, scoreless in the in the third quarter of game. As that's not good enough. Agreed. Uh, agreed. So now to fourth down, we're going to look at the biggest surprise of the weekend. So Ricky, what is your biggest surprise this weekend? I think I think my biggest surprise and and I wanna take it back to I wanna take it back to Carolina. I, I was surprised at how effective the run game was without CMC. I was surprised at how you know how much passion they brought to the game. Um it could be easy with all that is ensued for a team like that to give it up and to kind of pack it in, so to speak. So I was pleasantly surprised at the energy, the fight that the Carolina Panthers displayed and the fact that they were able to have, you know, functional offensive pieces. We had a DJ Moore sighting. Um, PJ Walker didn't believe any of the hype that the media may have had about him. Uh, both running backs produced. The defense did what the Carolina defense does. So I would say that I was pleasantly surprised by, by that. Um, without a doubt, the, the Carolina Panthers on the field, that would have been my biggest surprise. I think off the field, I was surprised at how how decisive the Colts were with the Matt Ryan decision. Because at one point, we heard this thing about a shoulder injury. But then they came out and they told you, know, we um, essentially that the GM and the head coach had a meeting with the owner. The decision was made. And then when they made the statement that Ellinger will be the starter for the rest of the season, essentially that was the biggest indictment on Matt Ryan. So I was surprised that, you know, the, the, the Colts opted to just let everyone know, look, this is the direction we are going and that is it for, for Matt Higgs. So those would be my on the field and off the field biggest surprises um, for the week. Okay, so AJ, I'm actually going to jump in and do mine because I know you want to respond to this before we um, get to your biggest surprise of the week. So my biggest surprise of this weekend is last night's football game. Monday night football between the Chicago Bears and New England Patriots. And AJ, this is why I wanted to get in here first, right? Now, first off, I expected this game to be terrible. I expected it to be horrendous. There was always going to be some level of intrigue with the return of Matt Jones and Bill Belichick going up against Justin Fields for the first time. Usually, when Bill is going up against these quarterbacks for the first time, it doesn't usually go very well for them. However, it didn't quite play out this way. Now, one other note that was worthy of consideration going into this game was that Bill Belichick, he is currently tied with um george hallis for the second most wins all time by an nfl head coach at 324. hallis made his name and got majority of those wins with the chicago bears so this was an interesting talking point because if bill beat the bears then he also beats hallis for number two all time both of them second right now to don shula now this game was supposed to be a defensive slugfest that chances are would have made me pass out on my coach. But the Patriots forgot that stopping the run was going to be a big part of this game plan. Justin Fields threw for 179 yards and a touchdown. 
And then he ran for 82 yards on 14 carries for another touchdown. As a team, Chicago ran for 243 yards. This doesn't happen on a Bill Belichick defense, and the Bears were able to run away with a 33-14 to 14 win. Oh, and one more thing before I stop talking. There's a genuine contra quarterback controversy in New England. The crowd was chanting, Zappy, 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 from the Patriots' first three and out. And as soon as he came in, they looked far more dynamic offensively, and the crowd was definitely more engaged and definitely behind them. Makata looks like he's been usurped by the Zappy hour, just like how Egon took out Rhaenyra. So AJ, your turn. Over to you, sir. Um, It's funny. It, it's a good thing you probably jumped in there because I could respond to that and then give another pick because I actually had the Bears as my initial pick, but my backup pick for the biggest surprise is along that same line as well. We go back to the Bears thing. And you know what? It, it, it kind of ties in. So I'll just mention both teams. It was the Bears and Seattle, right? And the reason why, I'm, uh, why it's both of these teams for me is not just because of the fact that they won on the road, but it's just the manner in which both of them did it. Like it was, they were, they were both like comprehensive victories. Like it, it, for Chicago last night, obviously I picked my Pats to win at home. I didn't expect Chicago to drop 33 points on us, honestly. Especially after shutting out, after we had shut out one of the, the, the best defense offenses in the league, albeit the Lions, but still, they were like a, a top three offense, if not actually top when, when we faced them. Yeah, they were number one. There we go. So I wasn't expecting Chicago to, to, to be that offensively uh, um, intact. But it, it really seemed as if, it really seemed as if, I don't know, the, the, the ghost of NFL past visited the head coach or something like that because he, 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 he took the training wheels off Justin Fields and let Fields do his thing. And clearly that is the key to that offense. Clearly that's it. So it, 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 it was a well-deserved and comprehensive victory. And Seattle, I think, in the same way, like, again, I don't trust Brandon Staley. But the manner in which the Chargers lost at home to Seattle. Seattle, as you had mentioned earlier, Ken, they controlled the game from the start. And they didn't look back. They did not look back. So just, I'll give both teams. And since you mentioned the Bears are adding Seattle then. So just, just the, 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 the mental fortitude and, and, and what both teams showed in their road victories, I'd give both of them biggest surprise. All righty. So that was four down territory. And now we'll move from that. And well, there's an interesting bit of news that came out um, heading into this weekend's games. Now first, the NFL trade deadline is officially 4 p.m. Eastern on the 1st of November. So by the time we come back to you guys next week, the deadline will have passed. And usually around this time, there are teams that are buyers whose seasons are going pretty well, but you know, for a lack of a couple pieces, they're in a strong position to make a, a postseason push. 
And then where there are buyers, there are always sellers. Teams whose season is in the bin and are now looking to get some assets to aid them in their rebuild or give them more chances at the plate in the draft to hopefully grab that home run hitter of a rookie to get them moving in the right direction. That is not just in the NFL, it's also in the NBA. However, contrasting the two, the NBA trade deadline usually has by far more activity and more excitement than we normally would get from the NFL. Now, the Panthers, the Carolina Panthers, are definitely in the seller category. Having punted on the season, fired their head coach, traded the disgruntled wide receiver Robbie Anderson to the Cardinals, and now they've sent their star running back Christian McCaffrey to the San Francisco 49ers for this upcoming draft's second, third, and fourth round picks, and a fifth round pick in 2024. This is a pretty big trade, so Ricky, the biggest question is who won? And then how does this affect their outlook going forward? I would I would have to say that the 49ers won in so much as this is Kyle Shanahan pushing all the chips to the middle of the table, having his moment where he says, listen, I have shown the world I don't have faith in this quarterback. I have faith in this running game. I have faith in this defense. I have faith in our style. Now, it's a bit um, different in the sense that Shanahan usually uses, you know, two or three running backs and just believes that his system will allow those running backs to be productive. This is the first time that we could argue he has a bona fide star in the position. Um, tells me that yeah, this is it. The, the 49ers are saying, regardless of how we got here, this is our moment to give up these assets, get a game changer in CMC, and go all in on trying to win a Super Bowl this year. So I would have to, on, on sheer courage alone and the rolling of the dice, have to say that the, the, the 49ers have won the trade because the history of a franchise like Carolina says that they can acquire all of these draft picks, but we don't, we've not seen enough body of work to say that they're going to know what to do with those <laughs> picks. So, advantage, San Francisco. What were you, AJ? Who, who won this trade? And Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey is who won the trade. Christian McCaffrey is who won this trade. <laughs> going, from, going from that, first of all, let's just talk about from the football aspect, he's going to arguably one of the, the if not the greatest offensive mind in the NFL, right? Cool. And, and this is a man who is going to use his skill set. And what he can add to this team is, is, is going to be unparalleled. Like he's, he's by far better than any running back in that team. Uh, and, and obviously a, a better dual threat, right? So he went from uh, not even a pretender, just purgatory to a contender, right? Agree. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but but that's the truth. It's the truth, and obviously it'll take some time to get him involved. But uh, you you can see that they're they're trying to get him in slowly but surely. But he'll get there. He will get there. Secondly, secondly, this man does not have to bend to San Francisco's will and take less money. Like right now, he he what he's earning is is probably well below his market value. Uh, but I mean, you could. I mean, it could probably be a little higher, but he had injuries and whatnot. Cool. But when it comes time for this man to be paid, when it comes time for him to be paid, 
Carolina and not Carolina. I care nothing about Carolina. San Francisco, <laughs> San Francisco can't chinks with the bricks. Bring money, or he gone. And it and, and it, it might not be a huge loss because this team has been to two NFC championships even before he was a part of the team. But it will be a loss when they lose him, though, and if they allow him to lose. Christian McCaffrey is the biggest winner in this trade. Okay. Welcome, Eagles. My deal. Deal is he's entered the building. Glad to have you, as always. So <laughs> he's he's telling AJ to preach. So he's <laughs> definitely on board with AJ's pick for Christian McCaffrey as the winner of this trade. So before I get to who I believe is the winner of this trade, Ricky, you when you when I when you were speaking, something just came to me and it was that the San Francisco 49ers Similar to the Rams, they don't care anything about draft picks. Clearly. Because, you know, they gave away all of the first-round picks to get up in the draft to draft Trey Lance, who unfortunately is now injured. So he is out. And then they've now given away their second, third, and fourth-round picks for this season. So I went to quickly look and see what their picks are looking like for the rest of the, well, for this draft. They have two compensatory picks in round three. So at least they still have picks in round three. But of their own picks, they only have round five and round seven. But then there's an also there's a seventh rounder that they got from Denver. I really don't remember what that was from or what that was for. So as a result, then you know, I am good for them. But unfortunately, Ricky, I disagree with you. I don't believe that San Francisco won this trade. I actually believe that the Carolina Panthers won the trade, as now they have even more draft capital heading into the coming draft. They have their first rounder, two second rounders, the third the third rounder from San Francisco, two picks in the fourth, and then their fifth round pick. They got rid of a depreciating asset in mm -hmm. CMC, who frankly cannot stay fit, and has been especially fragile since signing his new contract. San Francisco believes that they have a championship level team, but it is strange to me, and I'm taking myself off of the screen for this part. It is strange <laughs> to me that they would make this move for a feature back when they have always been running back by committee. The committee approach will help McCaffrey to AJ's point. Because he will not be expected to do it all, and you know he the breaks from taking all of these hits will help him. But it feels like they gave up a lot for an injury-prone running back on too much money for his level of recent production. And to that point too, he is under contract until 2025. So if he performs, AJ, yeah, they will have to bring the break struck, but are you going to put a bet on if he is going to perform or if he's going to break down? Which one would you put your money on first? <laughs> I think, like I said, I think the injuries are past him. Obviously, I'm not saying that he will never be injured again, but especially given the makeup of this team and the fact that he won't have to be uh, um, the, the, the he won't have the same type of player that he was in, in Carolina doing every single thing. I think it helps. It helps. And I'm, I'm not surprised that, that San Francisco made the move. 
Well, that's in hindsight, because initially when I did, even when I did my reaction video, I said, I thought that the Rams are going to be the one to compete this deal, right? Because they are in dire need of, of, of a feature running back right now, especially with this whole Cam Akers issue. But I, don't know, I, I just really like this for everyone involved. And picks are pawns. When you're playing chess, you don't need to, to, to compile pawns. Like, you don't keep pawns. You turn pawns into, into queens and, and, and that kind of thing to, to use them properly. That's exactly what picks are for. When you're looking to win and go all the way, picks are useless and irrelevant. All you do is compile them to, to actually gain some, uh, as capital, to, to gain a, 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 an asset. Uh, he might have been a depreciating asset for Carolina because it made no sense for them to pay him given the direction they're headed. But one man's trust is another man's treasure. He can, he can work, though. He's going to work in San Francisco. He can work. So to, to, to what you said just now about the Rams... Um, according to Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer, the Rams offered their second, third, and well, second and third rounders in 2023, fourth and fifth rounders in 2024, and Cam Akers to Carolina in exchange for McCaffrey. But I remember it has been said that the value of a draft pick is depreciated by a round for every year that you have to wait for that pick to come true so mm -hmm. them giving a fourth rounder and fifth rounder in 2024 will actually round out to being like a fifth and sixth in 2024 so definitely what san francisco was offering was better than what the rams had put on the table so that is it for what i had here aj now it's over to you with overreacting much for week seven. All right, let's go. So in lieu of the presence of our esteemed colleague and brethren, Ricky, mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure to have some topics for this segment that, that would hit home for him, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so luckily for me, one of Rick's teams made one of the most high-profile trades of the season so far. So firstly, the Jets, they're building a young team, especially on that offense and they reinforced that stance in the offseason when they drafted Brees Hall, who unsurprisingly rose to number one in the depth chart ahead of the sophomore running back, Michael Carter. Hall was unfortunately ruled out for the remainder of the season after suffering a torn ACL last Sunday, even though his team went on to defeat the Broncos 16-9, um, propelling the New York franchise, as Ricky already alluded to earlier, to a 5-2 record and second place in the AFC East. So after Hall's status was confirmed, that uh, his injury confirming his status for the remainder of the season, the Jets moved quickly to secure the services of 24-year-old, it feels like he's older, right? Yeah. 30-year <laughs> running back, James Robinson. He's only 24. From Jacksonville, wow. in, exchange, in exchange for draft pick compensation. We're already aware of James Robinson's profile. All of us at some point either had him or wanted him in, in NFL fantasy. So... Does his acquisition make the Jets playoff contenders or, or are Jets fans overreacting? I, I, I would um, not. I, I will obviously let, yeah, Rick, as, as, as a resident Jet, you go first. I, I, I would say this, right? It, it reinforces our belief in our GM, Joe Douglas, because firstly, we're not accustomed to being for even two after seven years. Secondly, the, the, the last two drafts that Joe Douglas has overseen, we have gotten assets that have come straight onto the team and been productive. 
this is the same Michael Carter. Well, both Michael Carters really, because we had one on offense and defense. We've had we've had pieces added to this team. Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, this year's draft goes without saying. Jermaine Johnson, Brees Hall, um, obviously Sauce Gardner, obviously Garrett Wilson. So you've seen enough to know. Okay, nice young team. We'll see what happens. But to be five and two after seven. And to see a GM make a move like that, you have to believe, okay, the GM is sending a message to the entire team that we are going to make a push um, to attempt to make the playoffs with this team. We could debate whether that's a year ahead of schedule, whether we had genuine expectations of that. Most Jet fans, if they're honest, would say no. But when I heard today that if we go five and five from here, most models show that we would make the playoffs, then yes, you have to pull the trigger on that. I must admit, I was also pleasantly surprised when I heard James Robinson's age, because in my mind, James Robinson is a man hovering around 30 years old. When I heard 24 years old, it actually made the value of the trade increase in my mind, because I was like, well, I didn't even know this guy was that young. So yes, I, I as a you know, a, a downtrodden Jets fan. I'm wearing my Sauce Gardner jersey. However, yeah, you, you you have to be you have to be at least upbeat and confident that your GM is trying to make a move and sending a message to the fan base, to the to the team. All right, we can make this playoff push. So, so I know your management, and I know you are very you are very adept at talking around the issues. So I want you to tell me straight. So you're saying it's not an overreaction that, that the I don't think it's an overreaction because okay. I, I I I believe that this team believes they can they can win enough games to make it. All right, sweet. I, granted, I listened to everything else you said and, and it's, it's there were some very salient points. All right, Ken, you go ahead. All right, so right now the Jets as we have said, are five and two. And in the standings of the AFC, not taking conference into consideration, they would be third in the AFC behind the Bills and the Chiefs. If we take the, the different divisions into consideration, then the Jets right now are sitting in the fifth seed of the AFC. Right now, when you look at how they are playing, relative to the other teams that are behind them, you cannot say that this is an overreaction. Because right now, I'm looking at the standings. The Bills, the Chiefs, the Jets, the Titans, the Ravens, the Dolphins, the Chargers. Those are the top seven, right? The Chargers right now look like fool's goal, so they're most likely going to fall off. The Bengals are improving, so they'll probably take their spot. There's nobody else coming out of the AFC South. The AFC West has been a tremendous disappointment, so who knows what happens there. And we have two teams coming from the North, which leaves the Dolphins and the Jets. The Jets are going to have the easier schedule because they're playing a last play schedule. The, the, the Dolphins are going to have more difficult games, at least on paper, than the other two. Why can't the Jets make it to the playoffs? And the fact still remains that, yes, they just lost who clearly would have been their stud running back for the rest of the season. 
and you replace him with another stud running back. Because James, all James Robinson does is put out yards and score touchdowns. He is the most underappreciated running back, I believe, in the NFL. Because he was an undrafted rookie mm-hmm. who ran for 1,000 yards. Then the team makes a change to bring in a new quarterback and to draft a running back for him who gets hurt. And all he does is run for another 1,000 yards. So what when we're looking at James Robinson... He is that dude, though. He doesn't have the profile of, of a lot of other running backs, but he is that guy. And if he comes in and he can give them the level of production that he has been able to do when he was in Jacksonville, I mean, it's not like if he was playing for the San Francisco 49ers who have this massive zone running scheme or what have you. He's been playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars, which until recently is purgatory so he's been doing pretty well with nothing much my my only cause for concern is that alleged Vera tucker he is no hurt and i think i saw he's done for the year yes indeed that's, so, a, that's a big loss as well right so we have to see what they do to compensate for his loss but yeah there's james robinson going to the jets the jets are already a playoff contender before they got him so I definitely am going to downgrade them now at this point. Some some very excellent points were made here. And I can't say objectively that I disagree with anything you guys have said. And even when I was sitting down to write the response for this, it was it was weighing heavy on my heart. Y'all want to know the truth? <laughs> I will be damned if I sit here and make it a jet sweep. If I sit here and make it a jet sweep and say that the Jets are contenders, nope, not going to happen. I will take an, gladly take another L if I have to because I need to see this to believe it. I, I agree with every single point you guys made, and, and I believe in James Robinson as well, right? He was extremely productive until Urban Meyer. And the, you know what? The, playing under Urban Meyer, anybody who played under Urban Meyer should be compensated. It's like, it's like contracting mesothelioma. You know, they should have a number to call. They should have a number to call for them to be compensated because that man ruined, almost ruined James Robinson. And then, obviously, like, the Jags went in a different direction. They, they brought in Travis Etienne, who, is, uh, who was um, college mates with Trevor Lawrence. It, it's like the customary thing to do now. And then they phased Robinson out and whatnot. But it doesn't mean that he's lost his skill set, right? It's, he's only in his third year. He's 24. All of these things I take into consideration. But I cannot, in good faith, sit here and say that I'm going to take the Jets as playoff contenders. If it happens, then I will come back. We will invite Ricky back, and I will raise my hand and say, Rick, I was wrong about your Jets. But I'm not going to do it now. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. So I will say it is a slight overreaction, even given the Jets' record and how well they have been building. Slight. Just a slight one. Just a slight. All right. Yeah? All right, cool. So, so we can move on from there, just making sure there was no rebuttal. All right, so let's land over the pond now. I get into Rick's football club, Liverpool FC. It's been trying times up in the cup. Um, they're not having the season that anyone involved in this, with this club would have expected to have up to this point. 16 points from 11 games in the Premier League, leaving them languishing in eighth place with their most recent result. <laughs> Sorry, I had to repeat this, Ricky. Being a 1-0 <laughs> loss to bottom of the table, Nottingham Forest. Good. The squad just doesn't look the same in terms of their on-field product. 
so far this season. So the question is, is it time to blow up this project? Is, is Klopp's era of domination uh, uh, and competitive era over? And do they need to start from scratch? Or is all of that narrative just an overreaction? Um, Ricky, would you like to start again? <laughs> I, I'm going to start here. I, I am torn. I am torn because leadership matters in this sport in particular. I think that we are underestimating the leadership that is required from a club like this beyond club. And again, players got to hold themselves accountable. I get that it is very easy to finger point. It is very easy when one or two changes are made and you get off to a start like this to put all of the blame on what is essentially the face of the club right now. But players got to hold themselves accountable. So the only reason that I would not suggest the wholesale changes is I believe that these players know that they have not brought the usual high standard that is expected. And because we have not yet turned the calendar to November, because we have enough time at least to start digging. I mean, from eighth place is not exactly the easiest thing. But are you telling me that this club, this squad of players can't get any top four to at least get a Champions League uh, position? I don't think so. So I think players got to look themselves in the mirror and start producing to the level that they are being paid. Okay, so essentially overreaction on there because you don't see the need to completely rebuild or anything. Not right now, no. All right, understood. All right, Ken? So I think that this is a slight overreaction. Just a slight one. I do not think that what we have seen so far tells us that Liverpool cannot return to some semblance of competitive stature. Liverpool are they have I think they've already qualified or if they haven't already qualified they're about to qualify tomorrow for the knockout stages of the Champions League, and as long as you're in a cup competition you always have a chance. They have fallen off in the league, but what Klopp has been able to achieve so far with Liverpool in the league should buy him some time to right the ship. Because he has shown that he is capable of taking them to higher heights than they have previously and enjoyed, especially in recent times. So that's why he says a slight overreaction. But the reason why it's only slight is because you know every company or every manager they go through a period where things are going well and then things are not going so well. Things are always cyclical, not just in sports, but in business and in life in general. And Klopp seems to have a cycle of seven years. Where Jose has a cycle of three, Klopp's cycle is a lot longer. His is seven, because it showed that when he was at Mönchengladbach, he left after seven years. He was at Dortmund, he left after seven years. And now seven years are up this year with him at Liverpool. 
and the team is looking the worst that it has had that it has since he arrived. Coupled with the the loss of Sadio Mane, which nobody would have envisioned would have been this critical to this squad, there seems to be something amiss in Liverpool. And it's something that you're going to have to try to figure out and try to fix going forward. Because at this point, it really can't get much worse. The only thing that can go that can go worse for them is that they somehow lose the next two games, which, if they were playing against a better team than Rangers, chances are they would have lost the last one before um, Mohamed Salah came in and scored a hat trick. We'll see. We'll we'll see how it goes. But at this point, I say just a just a slight overreaction. Slight. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So here's my take. I I I don't think this is an overreaction. Ken, you mentioned, you, you said that, what was it? Klopp has seven-year cycles? Yeah, he has a seven-year cycle. Seven is, seven is a very important figure here, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean in a biblical sense, but I'll tell, I'll tell you how it factors into to what I'm about to say. The average age of Liverpool squad is 27 years old, which in isolation, like, it doesn't sound old from a human perspective because all of us are beyond, like, the age of 30, right? So old to be 27 again. But when mm-hmm. you measure it to the rest of the league... You can see how you'll see how dangerous it is. At 20, at, with a squad age of 27 years old, as an average age, right? Liverpool ranked 17th in the league in terms of the average age, like near the bottom. Mm-hmm. As in just three other teams, three only three other teams have older teams than this. They have a host of experienced players in every position, and and I know one of the main recurring um, narratives that has come up was is the fans bemoaning the fact that they didn't shore up that midfield, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the problems run deeper than just the midfield. I, in, indubitably, that, that midfield concern is valid, but, I, and you mentioned it, Ken, I think losing money is, it has been a bigger deal than most people are willing to accept. Leadership. Leadership. The, correct. There's, there is, that is undoubtedly one, uh, one aspect of it, right? But, Especially after last season, how the, the, the sort of ascendancy that Manny was in up to the end of last season, like it's a huge loss. Like Luis Diaz is good, and, and I, I rate the guy his potential. I, I think he's, he, he, he could be a very good player, but he's not Manny, nor is he a Manny replacement. That's the thing. And why it's so crucial is, is with regards to the Manny factor, is that Salad is, Salad, Salah is drawing. <laughs> A lot more attention because Diaz on the other side doesn't possess the same goal threat as Mane did. Like he doesn't make the same runs, he doesn't have the exact same movement as as Mane, who was a, a world class wide goal scoring forward. Right? The, the entire team is pressing less. This, this this is an actual stat. Like I I know I saw the numbers somewhere here, but the entire team is actually pressing. Like the the, the percentage of how well they press this season has dipped tremendously. This season, and Mane had a lot to do with that um, philosophy, right? Then you have to factor in like Darwin Nunes is in his first season in the new league, and that, that youngster is a youngster in every sense. Like he's still young in age and in mentality, right? Like you could just look at the red card; that's evidence enough. <laughs> he he will get better, but in in to, to be fair to him, it's his first season, so it, it's kind of like it's a huge transition for him. I, I don't see him being a flop though. Salah himself seems to be suffering from, from the mega contract hangover. 
we very recently had that with with the guy who played number nine at Chelsea right now. And then Virgil has not looked the same since his injury, which is completely understandable in my estimation, right? I, I, I think at this point, it makes a lot of sense. It makes most sense to upgrade that midfield, but you need to, to make this team younger. And, and it's not like Klopp hasn't been doing that. Like a lot of the players he's brought in are younger players because mentioned Diaz. Diaz is a, is a young player. Fabio Carvalho as well. But I think the midfield especially is the issue. The midfield is 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 a, a great part of that issue, and y'all need to 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 do something about the middle. And even when I say that that I don't think that I don't think that Klopp's era should be done. I don't think you get rid of Klopp. If he wants to stay, he should stay. He should be allowed to stay. But at the same time, I do think that a little bit of rebuilding and retooling is needed. And it's just not it's not just the midfield. I think in defense as well. In your, in your center back, like Konate probably needs to be playing a little bit more if that's the case. Like up, up front, you, something else needs to happen because if, if, if you're going to lean on Salah, he needs to be able to get the ball in positions where he can affect the game more. And that's not, it's just not happening. Like there needs to be some kind of retooling at Liverpool. And, and it, it definitely has to start with making the squad younger, especially in the middle. So, in, in that sense, I, I think it's a rebuild and a rebuild should happen. But I, I don't think you like you get rid of Klopp to do that. I'm pretty sure he could do that, like implement it phase by phase. But it's it's definitely needed at this point. And so what Kirk is saying in chat is that what many people miss is that Mane would have long periods of drought. <laughs> in addition, he caught fire after the Afcon. This is a transition year, and it will get better. And he still ended up finishing behind Karen Benzema in the World Player of the Year voting. Mane had a spectacular season. I don't care if it's just AFCON or whatever the case is. Mane was really good last season. The fact of the matter is that guy is not easily replaceable. And, and it's, it's, it is not to say that you have to find an out-and-out replacement, but when you lose someone who's been a key factor in your team for so many seasons, it is hard to just transition. And you're right, Kirk. It is a transition year. There still needs to be more done and hoping that, yeah, we can bounce back. Yeah, you have one of the oldest teams in the league. That can't work. It cannot work. Mm -hmm. Especially when the majority of your age is in your midfield. And then when you're picking up players to supplement said midfield, you're picking up players that will be on the sideline. More injured. More than, more than they'll more be. More injured. Yeah, because Arthur is, has been very mellow. But anyhow, <laughs> let me let's transition into another sport quickly for the final um, final take. So, can I actually only found out today that Ricky's a Lakers fan as well? I, I, that was a well kept secret, and, and we all know why. But I digress. <laughs> very very similar in terms of a very old team, a team that somehow mm. believes that when we put all of these, you talk about average age, but shoot, the Lakers average age maybe more than that 20 and somehow be. we believe be. somehow we believe that that motley crew of ragtag players is going to make noise in the modern nba we cannot our our lakers issues is that we cannot score from behind the perimeter and we cannot defend perimeter shooters in a western conference that is defined by your ability to score from beyond the three-point arc 
and your ability to defend from behind three point recipe for disaster. For sure. You average... said it. Sorry. Go ahead, Ken. Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's in the average age for the Lakers right oh, now Lord. is 30. <laughs> this is in a league that, that has 19 year olds playing. Their average oh, age goodness. is 30. Oh, my goodness. So I'm glad you all got that out because I wasn't going to be the one. I, I, I actually have in my notes here that the, the Lakers are too easy of a target. So I, they were actually not going to be the focal point of this last statement. Let me just react to Kirk. Kirk, I, no, it's not about rating Ballon d'Or. I was just saying that, to your point, like, Manny was actually really good last season. That's all. Um, anyhow, we move on. Uh, glad you all were able to get that out. This is a safe space. So get all that, get all that Lakers frustration, right? Um, <laughs> let me talk a little bit more basketball, though. In, instead, over in the East, and Ken, you actually had a take on this that involved, slightly involved the Sixers when we were doing our or when you were doing your hot takes for the season, right, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, the Sixers went 0-3 before mm-hmm. winning their first game of the season on Monday night against the Pacers. Let me drop some stats here for you. Because they're kind of relevant to me. Philly is averaging 107.5 points per game, which is joint 24th in league. They are middle of the pack in both field goal and three-point percentage. About, I think it was about 15, 16, 17, somewhere around there. They're last in offensive boards. 25th in steals, first in turnovers, and overall sit 20th in defensive rating. If you need me to repeat these stats at any point, just let me know. Ken and Ricky, the season hasn't even kicked into gear as yet. We know this. But with the way that things are going, are the Sixers in trouble? Is the notion that they're not an Eastern Conference contender an overreaction or not? Um, Ashley, Ken, I'll let you go first here. Because you had something so this, to say about them previously. This is definitely not an overreaction. Right now, the Philadelphia 76ers seem to be trying to get Dot Rivers fired. That seems to be what they're that what they're about at this point in time. Because this roster is pretty much the same roster that they had coming out to the end of last season. They got rid of Ben Simmons, who was not going to play for them anyway. They brought in James Harden, who came in and immediately started playing for them. And as my hot take for this Philly season is, when the lights got bright, he flopped. And then Embiid had to sit in front of microphones and try to give justifications as to why the team was struggling. No, they are, well, they finally won a game. So they're no longer all and everything. They're one and three, but this team is not shooting well. Even James Harden, who has been credible from behind the arc. Well, everyone by now would have seen that viral video of him and Marcus Smart. And Marcus Smart tried to slide out into the parking lot on a flop, trying to buy a call. James Harden gives a shimmy and then grazes the rim grazes the rim and it is it is ridiculous how poorly philadelphia is playing and this is philadelphia as a team because harden has actually not played badly so far since the season started his numbers are serviceable to good Embiid has been a little inconsistent so far in these four games but you expect that Embiid is going to be able to be better what happened to everybody else? Where is Tyron Maxey in this early part of the season? 
we know that they decided that um what's his name tobias harris was not a good enough third option but he should be a good fourth option and he is completely vanished as well where is the bench where is the production coming from anyone other than the two superstars right now the philadelphia 76ers are not playing with any sort of fluidity any kind of rhythm and they don't seem to have a system which is kind of strange when you have the same head coach that's been in place now for more than three or four years then the only team that feels more dysfunctional than the sixers at this point in time is the los angeles lakers all right ricky what about you who what what do you think about these these 76ers i think that doc rivers is overstated as well welcome I think that Doc has over time shown us who he really is. And I think that there becomes time when some people run out of ideas at a certain level. I think Doc has run out of ideas at this level. Um, and his teams in recent years are reflective of that. Um, I, I, I know on another show they would tell you, I've been grinding this axe on Doc Rivers now for about four years. So nothing about this surprises me because I've stopped rating Dot Rivers probably since about 2018, 27, there, thereabouts. With some of those Clippers teams that the players were allowed to do as they like, um, some of the biggest collapses that we've seen in, 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 in postseason history, and would come to the podium and say it's kind of the same thing. Stories would come out after on other um, podcasts, especially during the two-year pandemic period, where you would hear stories about how the players were doing as they like. I don't have any reason to believe that it is any different in Philadelphia, you know? So I think what we are seeing on the court is a reflection of a, a head coach who needs to be replaced. And I've been saying this, as I said, for about four or five years now. I mean, it's interesting, though, that the next name that we're going to hear if we're going to have dot replace is doesn't coach defense um no. mr antony because we can't call it that Tony. <laughs> the d is silent the d is silent what were you aj is this an overreaction well first uh, kurt said that dot needs to line up a job in the commentary booth so since 2018 <laughs> so what about you? What about you, AJ? I think you're muted, sir. Muted. I'm seeing your mouth you moving, and we're not yeah. hearing anything. Still not hearing you. <clears throat> Is there something on your end or no? No. Like yeah, he, he would have controls over okay. on his side. It seems that you have lost your audio connection, sir. Because yeah, nothing is coming through. Well, Ricky, mm-hmm. I think though, well, unfortunately, we will not get AJ's take on if the Sixers are 
Eastern Conference winning caliber, but I'm pretty sure he would agree with us because there's nothing <laughs> that the Sixers have done to suggest that they can win anything other than a high pick in the draft coming next season. And you know, there's some memes that are out there right now showing, um, you know, like the, I think it's the Toby Maguire, Peter Parker meme where he is looking through his glasses and like the first look that's fuzzy was the Larry O'Brien trophy. And then when he puts the glasses on, it's Victor Wembanyama, which is what <laughs> pretty much everybody is going to try to thank for. This Indeed. Season. Well, I think though, unfortunately, we we, we still don't hear AJ, but um, AJ you said something. Did something come through? I was asking if you. Ah, there we go. No, we can hear you, bro. I like. Google Chrome just decided to. <laughs> I just it's a, it's a good thing I was mute because it's all the language I probably just like go there. <laughs> this is this is a family show. Um, I feel like the moment has already passed. But with regards to the Sixers, I I feel like it is a slight overreaction given all those stats that I just dropped. I think it's slight. And Ken, you actually listed a lot of the reasons why, but I'm just looking at it from the perspective of that. I think they could get stuff together. Like it, it is, it's not looking good, but I, I don't think it's all gloom and doom at this point. No, granted, I'm not even suggesting that I think that they will win the Eastern Conference, but I still think they will make a, a challenge <laughs> out of it come playoff season. I, like they're not going to miss the playoffs. Um, as you noted, like their two stars haven't been, they haven't been terrible, but it's just like the rest of the team needs to catch up. And I think that that can happen. So at this point, I'm going to say slight, slight overreaction just because like, we're only four games in. I, I, I think they could write the ship. I, Ricky, to your point, though, because I, I, I basically heard everything you all were saying. I just couldn't respond. Felt like I was paralyzed. Um, <laughs> so did the Sixers offense. <laughs> well played. Well played. To your point, though, I am not a huge Doc Rivers fan either, you know. I have I lost some faith in that guy a little while back. So I I am in agreement with you that he has overstayed his welcome. I don't even even if this team recovers and they're a, a contender for that Eastern Conference um, title, that's as that's a ceiling with Doc Rivers. That's a ceiling with Doc Rivers at this point. And it's a it might even be beyond the ceiling. I I don't feel like he should be here next year. Honestly. Yeah, and I would support him. Let me add, I don't know what the identity is for this 76ers team. And one thing I've learned about the NBA, certainly teams that want to go deep in the playoffs, you have to have an identity. You have to say, you know, for better or worse, this is who we are. So whether that is defensively, whether it is a certain style and how you score your points, you have to know when these games get close and they get tight, this is who we are. And my challenge with Doc Rivers coached team the last few years is I don't know what their identity is. I can say for Miami, I know their identity. They certainly mean the world. We know the Warriors' identity. But to me, makes I can even tell you that Memphis already has an identity. That young Memphis team already has an identity. They have a way that, that they know how to win, and they say these are strengths, and this is how we're going to win the games. You know, obviously, do it. But you have that. And I also think that there's a bit of that affecting the Brooklyn Nets. Because I don't know what their identity is. 
I really don't. But that's another story for another day. Indeed. It's poor Indeed. and porous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that comments are coming in on this one. Um, Kurt said that Doc needs to line up a job in the commentary booth. Dale says that he is with Kurt, that he was done with Doc long time, long time. that he is poor and porous. So I think that's a good spot for us to land this week's episode of the Green Ridge Podcast. Ricky, we thank you so much for being here with us this week. Jets, Jets, Jets. In AJ's ear, if I beat his Patriots this weekend. Oh yeah, that that is definitely going to be fun. Look, let let Ricky go on and go about your business too. <laughs> So next week, the show is going to look a little different because AJ is not going to be here. Next week, he is going to be out celebrating with the wife. So from the Green Bay Podcast, we do want to, you know, congratulate you on what is to come. And wish you Appreciate all the that, best. Sir. Have some fun Appreciate that. next weekend. Um, so I'm not sure who's going to be in the, the chair next to me, but somebody's going to be there. We're going to be here, and we're going to be talking about what happened in the NFL again. Ricky, do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here? No, I just want to keep encouraging the guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Like the fact that you've gone with a broader perspective this season, um, touching base with a number of the sports that attract fans from all over the world, and just keep building on what you guys are doing. All right. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you, Rick. Yes, as always, and we are always. Oh yes. Happy. Speak, no, no, no. Wait. Speaking of New York teams, how about them Yankees? Ah, you had to go. You had to go You were landing. I to, I'm sorry, I had to. You were landing in the Toilet. I know too many of y'all. Toilet. Ken said to fasten your seatbelt to bring your chair back in the upright position. I don't understand. And all of a sudden, this went no, turbulence, turbulence. No, you, turbulence. you open acetone on the people playing, sir. Yeah, listen, I'm sorry, I had to. I had, to. I know, I know too many of y'all. I know, I know how I, I look, look, the Yankees are the one New York franchise I actually respect, which makes it funnier when you all fail to win. But I actually respect y'all, like the rest of the New York franchises. We're talking about how good. They, they, like Ricky talk, spoke about how good they've been in, in the NFL this season, and that's a very, very good point, and you are absolutely correct. But generally, I cannot stand New York franchises, and Mr. Mario Vanterpool has a part of a reason to play, because when the New York Giants beat me in that Super Bowl, it was the second one, this man called me singing New York, New York, and he would not stop calling me until he finished the song. So you know what, Mario? I am, I am, I am overjoyed. I am overjoyed, not just that the, the Yankees lost, but that it was a sweep. And I don't care. I don't care how many more the Yankees have than the Braves. We won last year. I'm good. I am good. Ken, Ken you can end your show now. You can end the show now. <laughs> so apparently, Ricky, we, we needed to allow that cathartic moment for EJ <laughs> heading off to vacation, right? <sighs> Anyhow, folks, so that is EJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the bitch. That was Ricky joining us again for the first time this season. And we from the Green Beige Podcast, we will see you next time.